Everybody get up, come on and dance now. That's right. I mean, you know, Space Jam. Okay. From the original, from the original. Yeah. Just taking it back a little bit. All right. For I guess the one and only Melissa Bruning coming on the show to talk about her process designing the Toon Squad's freaking uniform. Yes. So excited. Yeah, that was nice retro. Thanks. Oh, yeah, man. you're throwing it back, throwing it back. I like that. Yeah, guys and gals, this process, man, it's an interesting one. You it, you don't just run to the store and buy some clothes. You really don't. <laughs> and she's going to tell you a whole lot more that goes into this actual design, who she works with on the set, doing it, when she gets involved. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting... And she passes on the one shared piece of advice that every single one of our guests does. What is it? You got to listen to the interview. Exactly, exactly. And she's dressed freaking so many notable names <laughs> like The Rock, Reese Witherspoon, Val Kilmer, the list goes on and on. LeBron yeah. James, obviously. So, who is her favorite? Who is her favorite person mm. just to work with back and forth? Well, you'll find out in this interview. Yes. And that's later on the show. But now, let's get a little crazy. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Crazy Ant Farm. Holy moly, we're on episode 172 this week. Feeling good about life, man. Yes, 172. What? Right? I mean, and if I'm not mistaken, it's like already like our 29th episode of season four. Mm. I I can't even believe that. I know. Like, it's just insane how quick they're going by. Exactly, man. Exactly. Before you know it, Crazy Ant Media is going to be like the next NPR. We're going to have. A whole bunch of different <laughs> shit going on that you can listen to on the daily basis. Of course, you guys know we're shooting for it. We're shooting for yes. it all. Shooting for the tap. It's true. But you guys know your host with the most, myself, JLo Fantastic, and the one and only mouth. What's up? Guys, there's a lot of stuff going down in Hollywood Ooh. this week. Uh, we're going back and talking about Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit with Disney, as always. I mean, of course, you guys know this is going to be in our industry news for probably, I would say, two to three weeks. Ah, I, at least. At least. Be, I mean, and it's always something interesting. Wait until you hear what it is this time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you guys know we're talking about the streaming wars. Everybody's putting new content out there. People are being cast to freaking some amazing projects. And we have the latest details for you that aren't being kept under those wraps. And there's a Netflix fan favorite that's going to have a lot of you all very, very happy. What is it? You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to (laughs) wait. Oh, man. But before we get this thing started, be sure to head over to our website, www.crazyantmedia.com, where you can start rocking the latest and greatest Crazy Ant Media gear. Yes. New merch out right now, still designing some other things, so stay tuned as always. And we just ended our sale. It was a phenomenal week. And, yeah. I mean, if you guys didn't know about the sale, you should be following us on <laughs> ItCap Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Crazy Ant Media on Twitter and Instagram. This is why you should be following us because yes. you need to know about the latest promotions going down here at Crazy Ant Media. off. Y'all missed 20% off if y'all didn't catch it. Man, that's oh, a, man. That's significant. That's it a big is. chunk of money saved right there. Exactly, I'm man. I'm just saying. Uh, let's get into this thing, Wait, though. you know what, though? Ooh. Before we get started, I just want to say this because it's mind-boggling to me that it's even so. It, it, do you know that we just – it's a year already. We're going to 
pay some tribute to the king himself, Chadwick Boseman. A year ago today, he wow. passed. Can you even believe that? No, I remember. I remember it was a show day. And yeah, we just had finished the show. It probably been like an hour. Still, we were editing together some stuff, and then I just knocked on your door. Hey, this happened. You're like, what? Yeah, like, it's just because he kept it secret. Remember yeah. the four year battle with cancer? Nobody, Nobody knew, knew except for a couple of really close people in his circle, and just. A year ago today, man, and just the impact that he had on the industry and people, I mean, it's it's a legacy that just will continue forever and just, you know. Agreed. I mean, he left his mark on this world. He did. That's for sure. And I mean, speaking that positivity and speaking that truth. So we appreciate him always for that. But let's jump into some Disney and with their relationship with the city of Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Everybody knows that is basically Hollywood South now. Everything goes out of Atlanta if it's not going through Vancouver. Yep. Um, The city of Atlanta and Atlanta's mayor, Office of Film Entertainment, have launched the Set South Production Assistant Training Program, a partnership with United Way Greater Atlanta and the Georgia Film Academy, the GFA, as some of you know it as. (laughs) Disney, an inaugural lead supporter of the set of the South PA program, the free full-time training program set to benefit undeserved Atlanta residents is currently accepting applications for its uh, inaugural class, uh, which will start on October 4th, so right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, Set South PA program connects unemployed and or underemployed Atlanteans to careers in the highly competitive film industry, which we know that pond is growing bigger and bigger every day. Oh, yeah. Uh, The first class will hold 15 students, and there are plans to expand and continue the program with with, uh, two cohorts uh, each year with up to 25 students each through four weeks of training. Uh, the Set South PA program with curriculum and instruction from the Georgia Film Academy will deliver an etiquette standard practices, mock set experiences, and more. Now, the program is tuition-free for participants and requires no previous production experience. Uh, upon uh, completion, uh, AMOFE and the GFA will support the students as they seek employment by providing alumni resources, mentorship, and job placement productions. Now, that receives permits of the City of Atlanta will encourage to hire Set South graduates on their productions. So basically, if you go through this program, it's a pretty good chance that you will be hired on a set in Atlanta. This is fantastic news because we're always saying every week, right? Get on a set, get on a set, get on a set. It's the most invaluable thing, you you know... for experience to build with whatever you want to do in the industry right and so the idea that the city would partner with the film institute and with a a conglomerate like disney to give the opportunity for these people to to learn and get on a set even as a pa because that's what this is pa training right but i i fucking love it i do too i love it man and if you can do that for underserved and underutilized members of the community who are who desperately want to be employed but also dream of being in the film industry this is a win-win for everybody exactly and i mean like you said we talk about all the time just get on a set and especially as a pa because that's where you can learn so much shit from so many different people so very supportive of this uh training program so i think it's fucking awesome hell yeah man and i'm telling i'm just telling i bet these first 15 people all end up on a 
Disney project. For sure. They're all shooting there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, speaking of, let's just keep talking about the mouse because it's not all good, right? Nope. Okay, we have the latest news on the lawsuit between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. And this is a really strange development, but it, who, you know, here we go. The judge, apparently, that's overseeing Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit against Walt Disney Company has offered to step down from the case. Why? Because apparently he formerly worked for the law firm that represented the Mouse House. Hmm, that could be a conflict of interest. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Robert S. Draper's clerk issued a minute order earlier this week stating that Draper was a partner in O'Melveny Myers LLP until 2005 and that he still receives a monthly pension from the firm that amounts to more than $100,000 a year. Damn. Now, the minute order further states that the parties can waive Draper's self-disqualification by filing a joint agreement by September uh, 10th, basically saying if they're both okay with him and that he used to be an attorney for Disney, Disney, then they'll move forward and he'll still be the judge. But if they don't respond to that jointly by September 10th, then his intention to remove himself from the case will move forward and he'll be replaced by another judge. I think it's very interesting. I think he should recuse himself. I agree. I'm not saying this guy can't be fair or impartial, but it just seems to me like it shouldn't be you know yeah, just get a different exactly. judge i mean we need a right mediator and like with this guy working so close with disney before i yeah i don't think it's right no so i mean it's very interesting very interesting <laughs> and this next one i think is awesome because i wouldn't be surprised if more of the female-led marvel squad came out and support of this yep elizabeth olsen everybody knows her as the scarlet witch yes. uh has voiced her support for her fellow avengers scarjo amid her ongoing Black Widow lawsuit against Disney. In the recent interview, she said, quote, I think she's so tough, and literally when I read that, I was like, good for you, Scarlett. She added, when it, w- when it comes to actors and their earnings, I mean, that's just that's just all contracts. So it's either in the contract or it's not. So I'm glad to see this, and hopefully, like I said, more of the female crew come out like Brie Larson and just there's so many out right now so I think this is very important I think so too and I think this is a hint that maybe you know I feel like Elizabeth Olsen probably got one of those restructured contracts because you know she's showing up in Doctor Strange right and so we know there's a film thing there and then also had WandaVision so her contract had to be restructured for both you know Disney Plus and theatrical so I'm just wondering if like she seems to have pretty good insight. Like, if it's in the contract, right. it's in there. And if it's not, it's not. So, hmm. Um, not all great news. You know, we just talked about Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther himself. And um, as you guys know, they're currently shooting Black Panther 2 right now. Um, well, uh, guess what? Somebody got hurt. And it Shit. was it was a name. It was a big one. Uh, Letitia Wright has been hospitalized with minor injuries after a stunt rig accident on the set of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, a spokesperson for Marvel said that she's currently receiving care in a local hospital and is expected to be released soon. The film shoot... Now, this is interesting, though. The film shoot was actually happening overnight in Boston. Mm. But the film is shooting in Atlanta. So, I'm guessing... Interesting. Riri... I'm guessing they were like MIT. They're like legit on location for Riri and that that storyline. So maybe she's recruiting her and maybe they were at the campus. It's the only reason I could think that why they just wouldn't be shooting it in Atlanta. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, 
Uh, there's currently no impact to the movie shooting schedule, so don't worry. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is still expected to hit theaters on July 8th of next year. So uh, we wish her well. That's that's Siri for any of you guys who don't know. This, you know, his little sister and the one that's basically going to take over all the tech stuff now that Tony's gone. So um, good. I'm glad she's okay, though. Glad yeah, she's seriously. Okay. I mean, we talk about all the time how sets cannot be a safe place sometimes. I mean, especially when you got a lot of action going on. So, um, yeah. I'm glad she's okay. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Studios is searching for a Latino actor to lead the untitled Halloween special for mm. Disney+. Plus. Though it is unconfirmed if the character will be based on Werewolf by Night, the casting search marks another effort in Marvel's expansion of representation. And I will say, we talk about all the time how Marvel is absolutely fucking amazing, but you know... I'm always trying to one-up him when it comes to Marvel and Star Wars. So I think they got this shit from Star Wars because Star Wars steady putting out a, a holiday special. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I didn't know where you were going there at first. But, yeah, totally. The, the Or James Gunn just influenced him. Because remember, yeah, James, yeah, James Gunn was going to do the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. one that's supposed to be hitting also. One or the other influenced them to do a holiday special for Marvel. But um, I hope it is the uh, Werewolf by Night storyline, though, because that would be a really interesting one. There's, there's a couple of – you know, the current rendition of the character – that's in Werewolf by Night mm-hmm. was uh, created by one of the Black Eyed Peas. Really, I'm not even kidding. So, very like, like, yeah, it could be very interesting if they go that route. Um, this one, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm happy about this one. As we guys told you before on previous shows, they're doing a prequel to The Lion King. Uh, it's going to be live action. Um, and now, apparently, we found out that Aaron Pierre and Kelvin Harrison Jr. are set to voice Mufasa and Scar in the upcoming sequel. Uh, prequel. Um, yeah, you heard me right. Mufasa and Scar. Like, wait, what? Not Jeremy Irons and, and James Earl Jones? Hmm. It's unclear what exactly the film will be about, but it's expected to focus on the early years of Mufasa, the regal father of Simba, and his menacing younger brother, Scar. Now, Disney has yet to reveal any of the remaining cast members, uh, though the Lion King prequel will likely be another star-studded affair like the live-action Favreau Lion King was. Um... I I, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool because I just looked up on our handy-dandy IMDb Pro app, which everybody should have. <laughs> I think it's really cool that, I mean, both of these guys are relatively unknown. I mean, they've done yeah. stuff here or there, so they're getting a big opportunity. But this goes back to, and this is for everybody in the entertainment industry, quit beating a dead horse. Yeah. Like, I mean, not to say that, I mean, Lion King's always going to be huge. Don't get me wrong. But... We're keep, we keep telling the same story with the same characters. Why, again, like you say all the time, why do we need to build universes now? It's unnecessary. Yeah. So. And, and I'm sorry, but and, and nothing against these two actors, but no. James Earl Jones and, and even Jeremy Irons, very iconic voices. Yeah. And they pretty much sound exactly like they did back then now. So why would you I get that it's a younger version of them, but they sound the fucking same. If James Earl Jones were right now on this show at this moment say, "Luke, I am your father," it would sound exactly like it fucking sounded back then. You don't need to cast a different voice actor, man, unless they just said no, which I can't imagine they'd say no. Right. I'm just confused by exactly. this story. Exactly, and it's know. very weird, too, because obviously if this were going to be them as cubs, 
you would have cast children. Children, right. So, I mean, with these being two grown-ass men, it's obviously going to be them, like, teenage-slash-adults. So, yeah, why the fuck wouldn't you try to get them back? I mean, it's James Earl Jones. Just saying. Fuck. Just saying. Okay. Iconic voice. <laughs> Iconic voice. Yeah. Uh, ABC will bring in the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World with a television special mm. hosted by Whoopi Goldberg herself. Oh. The most magic. <laughs> Oh, oh! oh. <laughs> the most magical story on earth, 50 Years of Walt Disney World, is a two-hour program that will take viewers on a historical journey spanning half a century beyond and at the Florida uh, Museum Park and Resort. The special will air Friday, October 1st on ABC. Mm. Christina Aguilera and the Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid star uh, Haley Bailey uh, Holly Berry. Haley? Haley. Holly? <laughs> I think it's Holly Bailey. Holly Bailey. There you go. Not, no, okay. We'll perform in front of Cinderella <laughs> Castle alongside with Orlando, not Bloom, uh, Orchestra at the Magical Park for the television celebration. Also set to join is uh, Anthony Anderson, John Stamos, uh, Melissa Joan Hart, and other celebrities. Kevin Feige, Pete Doctor, uh, James Cameron are among the creative scheduled to join the celebration. The event is also it also touts uh, appearances by a Disney executive, past and present, including Chappic, Iger, and Eisner. Mm. Very interesting. I'm tuning in just for that because I want to. <laughs> I want to see Michael Eisner and Bob Iger be like, "What the fuck, bro? Yeah, <laughs> we built this shit. Yeah. What the fuck are you? You trying to tear that shit down?" To which Feige will be there too and say. Yeah, bro, what the fuck? That's <laughs> not going to be good. I'm tuning in just for that because I want to see the tension there because I'm you sorry. You know there is There's going to be tension It's going to be like Boys Club and then Chappie. <laughs> Chappie's going to be all by himself. Like Yes, yes. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that totally. Eisner, Feige, and Iger all just hanging out and Chappie's like, ooh, hey guys, hey. Literally. You know, yeah. I think that's going to happen. Oh boy, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm actually giddy about it. I, I want to see it. Uh, oh, I love this one. And everybody who follows me, everybody who knows me, everybody, I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. It's my guilty pleasure. I love the fucking show. I never miss it. It's just, I, I can't get enough of it, okay? I'm sorry. But they announced their, their, their guest sharks for the upcoming season, and it's a pretty good list. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited. Shark Tank will feature four new guest sharks when it Comes back on the 13th uh, season in October. And get this, guys. Kevin Hart is going to be a guest star. Nice. That I love that. Kevin Hart is going to be a guest star. Uh, you guys know he has Heartbeat Productions and uh, Laugh Out Loud. Uh, and we'll swim in the tank for the first time, joined by Emma Greed, who's the CEO and co-founder of Khloe Kardashian's Good American, and Kim Kardashian's Skims. Um, Peter Jones, an original dragon on the BBC's Dragon's Den, which is kind of a play on Shark Tank. He'll be there. And next door, co-founder Nirav Tolia. So, um, all good choices, but I'm most excited about Kevin Hart because... <laughs> that dude is going to be an epic shark. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. but he's going to be good. And I want to see him go toe-to-toe with Mr. Wonderful. You know that's going to be good. It's going to be I'm hilarious. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, man. Well, the cast of the original Wonder Years will guest star across ABC sitcoms on the night of the reboot's premiere, September 22nd. Oh, that's cool. First, Dan Laura, uh, who played uh, the patriarch Jack 
Arnold on the late 1980s, early 90s family sitcom will appear on The Goldbergs, which airs at 8 p.m. on the Alphabet Network. And that will be followed by a premiere of the reboot at 8.30 p.m., which will include a nod to the iconic theme song originally mm. covered by uh, Joe Crocker. Uh, the Connors, which premieres at 9 p.m., will include Fred Savage, who played Kevin Arnold uh, on the original show and serves as executive producer on the new one and home economics which closes wednesday night sitcom block at 9 30 p.m will feature danica mckeller uh formerly played winnie cooper so it's very that's awesome. interesting kevin yeah. and winnie making an appearance and dad that, that's kind of cool though i like that they're doing that to kind of boost the new reboot right so that's kind of cool to have exactly. the originals all over the place um Interesting. This is cool news because, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan. Logan Marshall Green from How It Ends is set as a new series regular and a key character in the upcoming second season of ABC's Big Sky. Opposite, of course, returning leads Kylie Bunbury, who I absolutely love. Please come on the show, Kylie. I really want to talk to you. And Catherine Winnick. Marshall Green will play the person from Jenny's past, Travis, an old friend of Jenny and her late husband, Cody, which, of course, you guys know in the shocker ending, Ryan Phillippe. Uh, was killed off. Marshall Green is the second major cast addition for season two, joining previously announced new series regular Janina Gavincar, who we talked about on last week's show. So, very freaking fun. But that's not all the information about Big Sky. What else you got, Logan? I know. We got John <laughs> Carl Lynch uh, will return for season two of Big Sky. Despite his season one character, Rick Lagoretsky, being killed off, ABC did not hmm. confirm he would be playing in the new season, but a recent shown teaser for the series featured narration by Lynch commenting on his brother. It was mentioned in season one that Rick has a twin. Uh, so season two premieres September 30th at 10 p.m. So, so is the twin as shady as that motherfucker was? Because I'm, I'm just wondering. Or is he going to be like a nice guy? Right. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I'm excited to find out. Um, Hey, let's see. Do you want to be on TV? You have a chance. Apparently, yeah. you have a chance. Why? Because when The Connors returns to ABC with its fourth season premiere on September 22nd, the family sitcom will present another live episode. And this time, ABC is giving viewers a chance to win a virtual appearance as a member of the family in the premiere via a sweepstakes. As part of season four premiere storyline, a Connor family member will call each sweepstakes winner for a live conversation discussing how they deal with some of the same life issues that the Connors experience on a daily basis. So that's interesting. That's They're going to talk some heavy social shit with some real people about how they deal with it in life. That's cool. That is really cool, and especially with having it being live and like you get shown on <laughs> national television, that's going to be very interesting yeah. to see how many people flub up. But yeah, that delay button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you what: when I got to choose between my medicine and food, fuck. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. shit! I mean, up, oh, beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just exactly, guessing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Roseanne didn't die. Like, I'm like, what if she like accidentally pops in somebody else's booth? <laughs> what if like, she wins a contest? <laughs> and I'm not on the show anymore, but. Uh, uh, that's how I deal with shit. I'm pro ambient. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> It'd be too much, man. It'd be absolutely too much. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> pop star slash YouTube sensation JoJo Siwa 
uh, will become part of the first season or the first same-sex couple on oh, Dancing with the Stars. Shit. Okay. In the thirtieth season of the show, the singer will be paired with female professional dancer for the upcoming season, and I'm pretty sure the dancer uh, was in the Olympics. I forget what her name was, but I mean, I'm really excited about this one because she is already a professional dancer. If you guys didn't know, she was on Dance Mom. She was one of the kids, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and she recently just came out as gay. So congratulations to her. I'm sure she had a lot of input in this decision. And Tyra Banks. Yeah. You know, we're always dogging Tyra because she's no Tom Bergeron, and I just think the show's kind of tanked since then. But true. True. if she can bring this type of, of equality and diversity to the show, uh, I, it's a good thing. So I'm, I'm thrilled that this is going to happen. It should have happened a long time ago. In Agreed. My, in my opinion. Um, the next thing will be, will the audiences be okay with it and will we see two males partnered up the following right. season i mean you know that you got to make progression right this next one is progression we could do without in my opinion <laughs> i i just i don't get this i don't see the need for this i'm a huge fan of him but i just this is stupid and abc what the fuck i'm just gonna say it steve harvey has been tapped at, to host a new courtroom series for abc I'm not kidding, guys. Courtroom series. The network has ordered 10 episodes of Judge Steve Harvey, which is describing itself as courtroom comedy series. But the cases will be, in fact, real. Harvey will welcome real-life people into his courtroom to rule on conflicts ranging from family disputes and sour friendships to actual small claims. The show is set to air on ABC sometime next year. Why? I have two predictions. I have two. It's either going to be really bad and everyone's going to hate it and no one's going to watch it, or it's going to be another guilty pleasure and everybody's going to fucking love it. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I just, I mean, like, how it's many times? How many yeah. times can we knock off the people's court? Literally. I mean, Judge Judy, like, is it all everything that's ever spawned is all a knockoff of the people's court, and we do we keep needing these? Like, I, I don't. Know. I know it is kind of weird, man. It is really just, freaking weird. <laughs> Well, heading over to Fox, uh, Stefan Wallum uh, from Nurse Jackie is set to for a key role in the upcoming fifth season of the Fox medical drama The Resident. Uh, Stefan will play Winston Roberts, a gentle, a kindly legal blind man who is brought to the hospital after being involved in a car accident. He relies on a cane to get around and isn't afraid to move about in an unfamiliar place. He does uh, his best to remain patient but wanders off towards the danger. Mm. I always laugh. Yeah, you, I'm the resident. You yeah. guys know. It's the resident. And you guys will too because Grace is gone soon. Just Yeah, it's probably the last flow, season. Flow over to the resident. You guys will love it. It's fantastic. But um, no, I, I, I just always think they do great. And they've always been great at diversity. They've always been good with handicap. They've always been good with these type storylines. So to have a blind character and, and come in, I, I'm excited about it. I think I agree. it's going to be good. Um, Okay, time to jump to the bunny, and I'm super excited about this one, too. Last week, we reported about Dua Lipa making her uh, acting debut. Well, another famous singer and Oscar winner is making her acting debut. (laughs) No pun intended. Her. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Her has signed on for her first major.
major uh, acting role, landing a role in uh, Blitz Boswally's forthcoming adaptation of The Color Purple for Warner Brothers. She joins In the Heights star Corey Hawkins, who has also been cast. Now, her is set to play Squeak, who goes from a juke joint waitress to an aspiring singer in the musical. And if you guys are old, like me, and remember, Ray Dong Chong played her in the original Steven Spielberg one back in 1985. Hawkins is set to play the role of Harpo, Harpo, if you guys know, he he was the Sir's son who married Sophie, you know, and where Harpo Productions comes from. Why is that the case? Well, because if you're not old like me, um, Whoopi, Oprah, Whoopi, Whoopi was also in it, but Oprah Winfrey made her feature debut acting in the original Color Purple, which is Harpo backward. You get it. You, you get, get it. it. Anyway, um, it's set to come out for December 20th, 2022. Uh, this is great casting. I fucking love... He was fantastic in In the Heights. And her, I'm a huge fan of her. Yeah. So uh, if she can act just even a scant, it's going to be fantastic. I agree. I think a lot of people are going to watch this one and be impressed, to be honest with you. And I wonder she has if it, a lot of talent. And I wonder if it will launch like a ton of careers, like the original... I mean, it, it, it launched Whoopi Goldberg. It launched Oprah Winfrey. It, I mean, they, they had so many people in that film. Uh, uh, Glover, uh, Donald Glover, like just so many people that just... <laughs> after the color purple, so... I'm just wondering. Who knows, man? Who knows? This next one's very exciting and by no surprise because <laughs> it is one of those that is literally bouncing from each streaming service to streaming service. Yes. Uh, the latest one being uh, HBO Max, and that is Harry Potter. All eight original Harry Potter films from Warner Brothers is returning to HBO Max September 1st. Uh, when HBO Max launched back in 2020, May of 2020, it included the Harry Potter movies, but it was only for a three-month carve-out on the streaming rights that the studio had sold to uh, NBC Universal. In October 2020, the Peacock began streaming Harry Potter movies, and now Warner Brothers has again reclaimed it. Like I said, it's going to be a back-and-forth thing. Luckily enough, we have both, so we can watch them whenever the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited about this. Though. I know, I know, and now I'm finally going to watch all eight of them. Sure. You heard that right? Like, sure. I haven't, I haven't watched any of them. Don't judge sure. me. Don't judge me. Hey, Domaine Davis, television director, producer, and award-winning filmmaker of projects such as Queen Sugar and Self Made, apparently assigned an overall creative deal with Warner Brothers Television Group. Now, under the terms of the pack, Davis joins the team of the upcoming DC Comics drama Naomi for the CW. Davis is going to serve as co-executive producer and the show's producing director, working alongside executive producers and writers Ava DuVernay and Jill Blankenship. As we've talked about on previous shows, Naomi is based on the DC Comics character of the same name, who will be played in the series by Casey Walthall. The show follows a teen girl's journey from her small northwestern town to the heights of the multiverse. When a supernatural event shakes her hometown to the core, Naomi sets out to uncover the origins and what she discovers will challenge every Everything she's ever known about superheroes. Huh. Yeah, it sounds intense, but it's a really good comic series, so I'm excited about it. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Well, now on to the CW, and they will be welcoming back The Flash for Season 8 with a five-part event special. Armageddon um, yes. is set to begin November 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Armageddon will feature numerous guest appearances from uh, some of the CW's most notable heroes and villains. Set to join, the Flash team are 
uh, Vagi, v- I can never say her name. <laughs> Javicia? Right. Javicia Leslie as Batwoman, Brandon Routh as The Atom, Cress Williams as Black Lightning, Shyler Lee as Centennial, Cat uh, McNamara as Mia Queen. Everybody knows, had her on the show. Be sure yes. to go back and listen to her interview. Uh, Ostrich Chow as uh, Ryan Choi, and Tom Cavanaugh and Neil McDonough. Will return as enemies of Emerald Tuan, Reverse Flash, and Damian Dark. Now, respectively, in Armageddon, a powerful alien th- uh, threat arrives on Earth, uh, must undergo mysterious circumstances, and Barry, played by Grant Gustin, Iris, and the rest of the Team Flash are pushed to their limits in a desperate battle to save the world. But with time running out, the fate of humanity is at stake. Flash and his companions will also need to enlist some help of some old friends if the forces of good are able to prevail. So I'm thrilled about this because everybody was kind of thinking because, you know, the CW announced what earlier last year that there would be no more epic crossover events like multi-show crossover events. But to have each one of these people kind of pop up in in episodes of The Flash over these five weeks – that's awesome because I was really kind of hoping and obviously the one I'm most excited about is our former guest you know Kat McNamara old old Mia Queen there because why because I'm hoping and seeing the response on social media I really think this is possible please pay attention fucking CW the response has been overwhelming I'm hoping that this rethinks the situation and they finally fucking launch Green Arrow and and the Canaries I think people really want that fucking show you can tell based on the reaction that it got that Kat was coming back just fucking do it do it <laughs> do it um and sticking with the fastest man alive tony Coran from your honor has joined the cast of the flash also in the role of despero he is currently filming the upcoming eighth season of the series now the character is described as a powerful and intelligent alien possessing incredible telepathic powers who left his homeworld kalinor under mysterious circumstances now he's facing a deadly mission on earth one whose outcome will decide the fate of humankind and put him on a collision course with team flash i'm wondering if he's part of that armageddon invading seems invasion, like so. it yeah i mean it would make sense right it really would it really would uh, Neil Hopkins and Joy Os- Osmaki, Osmaki uh, will power up for DC's Stargirl as CW promotes the two actors as series regulars for season three. Both Hopkins, Sportsmaster, and Tigris uh, were members of the Injustice Society of America and also appeared throughout uh, season one. They are set to return for one episode in the current season on August 31st. Yeah, that's odd to me. <laughs> like, so we're in season two, and you promoted two other people to regulars in season three. Season three. Okay. Yeah, All right, I was CW. Just, there. I was like, yeah, but hey, at least they're getting one episode. I guess it'll be the last episode to set them up for season three. I don't yeah. know. That seems like odd news to just put out there, but hey, you go for it. Uh, Amono Okoje, who recurred as Cleo Sawande on the third season of Legacies, has been promoted to also to a series regular for season four of the CW drama. Now, Okoje played Cleo, a new witch student at the Salvador School who bonds with hope over their artistic passions, free spirited and self reliant. Leo is excited to find a new home at the school and to earn a place in the Super Squad. As you guys know, she appeared in nine episodes in the current season, so it only makes sense that they were bumping her up. Exactly, exactly. Well, now heading over to the I, Viacom CBS, actor and disability inclusion advocate and double hand amputee 
John W. Lawson has been cast as Stanny in Paramount's Untitled Pet Cemetery prequel. This makes the Pet Cemetery prequel one of the first major horror fiction films to cast a w- double amputee in a starring role. Hmm. While many of the pilot details remain under wraps, Paramount did share that in the script, Stanny will was not originally without hands after Lawson's auditioned. The role was rewritten just to suit him. Good. I love that shit. Me too. I mean, you know, that's the way it should be. If the actor is the best actor for the role and he just happens to have something that isn't included, fucking rewrite it included. I just exactly. love that they gave it to the best person for the role. Good. I'm not at all excited, as we've talked about before, about this film. Oh, yeah. But I like what you're doing. <laughs> it's good news. Um, Star Trek Prodigy. I am excited about this one. The latest edition of the expanding universe of Trek series on Paramount Plus is adding sci-fi heavyweights John Noble from Fringe. Yes, I love that. And Jimmy Simpson from Westworld to its series regular cast. Noble will voice the animated series lead villain known as the Diviner, who rules the mining asteroid of Tars Lamara. Simpson will voice Dreadnought, Diviner's spider-like robotic minion, whose only purpose in life is to enforce his master's will at the hard-hearted ruthlessness. Oh. Oh. Wow. Sound, yeah, and this is the one that where uh, Janeway, Captain Janeway from Voyager is going to be in it. So yeah, yeah it's, I'm excited about that one. I am too. I am too. Star Trek living on, especially in the animated series. Yes. So that makes Perfect sense. Uh, American Vandal creators Tony and Dan have landed a series order at Paramount Plus for an eSports mockumentary series called Players. Mm. Uh, the series will follow a fictional pro League of Legends team as they pursue their first championship after years of calling our close calls and heartache. To win it all, they will need their prodigy 17-year-old rookie and their 27-year-old veteran to put their egos aside and work together. <laughs> okay. Right? This is a popular uh, video game, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know. So, okay. Yeah. That, that, that seems to be continuing the trend of, of making video games into, into series and movies, right? Agreed. Uh, super pumped about this one, although I didn't expect it at all. Uh, Your Honor has apparently been renewed for Season 2 at Showtime. Originally set up as a limited series, Season 2 will see Brian Cranston in return as the respected New Orleans judge Michael DeSiato. Peter Moffat will also return as writer, showrunner, and executive producer. Season 2, which will consist of 10 episodes, will begin filming next year for a 2022 debut. Honestly, if you saw the ending of it, you're like, well, how is this possible? But apparently it is. We're yeah. going to continue the story of the judge. So I'm kind of pumped about it. Yeah, man. the way you talk about it, I always thought it was like a limited series. It, so. Well, yeah. And I mean, they tied up the story and it was over. It was done. So I don't know. But apparently, according to Moffat, there's more stories to tell. Right. It's so. like, <laughs> that's kind of like defending Jacob coming back. Yeah. Or some shit. I mean, it's but I, I, hey, Cranston killed it. So I'm excited. I, I'm pumped for it. Hell yeah. Uh, blackish actress Jennifer Lewis has lined up her next TV role. Lewis will star opposite of Vanessa Bayer and Molly. Shannon in I Love This For You, a comedy series at Showtime. Uh, the She takes over the role uh, for uh, Cybill Shepard, who had been recently cast as the IC Energetic uh, CEO of a home shopping network. Mm. Sources say that in going 
From plot to series, the character moved in a different direction, and the producers and Shepard agreed to part ways. Lewis is entering the final season of ABC's Blackish at the moment, so it seems like things are going to line up perfectly. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes that's how it works out. Exactly. Uh, Showtime has, I like this one too, I like this story. Showtime has ordered a drama pilot inspired by the life of Rebecca Bender, a national leader on the, and survivor of sex trafficking. The pilot, titled Coercion, hails from Susanna Grant with Sidney Chandler attached, attached to Star. The series picks up with Bender's escape from the world of sex trafficking after six years, her struggles to return to a normal life, and her emergence as a confident, fun impassioned advocate for justice. Bender's now one of the nation's foremost experts on sex trafficking and serves as a consultant for federal law enforcement. Good. We need more stories like this out there to show what horrific stuff goes on with this. This is a huge problem in the U.S., guys, if you're not familiar with it. Anywhere along the I-10 corridor from the East Coast all the way out to California, girls are picked up and snatched left and right. I mean, this is huge. It is. It really is. And bringing more awareness to this issue, especially through entertainment. That's what we talk about each week. This is the way to do it. Yes. Uh, Now heading over to NBC, Universal Pictures has set Tiffany Haddish to star in If... IF, a live-action hybrid family comedy that has Mike Mitchell set to direct a script by Darren Lemieux. Uh, the film blends animation and live-action in the vein of Who Framed Robert Rabbit? The film is a story of an imaginary friend. So, yeah. Stop. Very interesting. Stop. You know. I, I, Space Jam's cool. But every other movie that's ever tried, even Brad Pitt's Cool World, Brad Pitt, Kim Basinger, you think huge hit, right? No, it fucking sucked. It bombed. You, I just don't think they're ever going to capitalize on the success of Roger Rabbit with animation and live action. The Toontown stuff works, you know, Space Jam, stuff like I, I just, I don't know. It's got to be, I don't know. It's got to be completely different in my opinion. So who knows? Yep. I don't even know if that could be done. So yeah, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if any like storyline could ever capitalize on that. I think you're right. I I, I agree. I agree. Uh, NBC, I do like this one, though, is rounding out its season two cast for Law and Order Organized Crime. Lolita Davidovich, McKetty Williamson, Guillermo Diaz, and Dash Mahak are all set for recurring roles on the upcoming season two uh, SVU spinoff series. Davidovich will play Flutura Briscu. Williamson will portray Preston Webb. Diaz will play Sergeant Bill Brewster. And Mihawk will portray Reggie Bogdani. Uh, I'm betting he's part of the Mafia, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. Character descriptions are being kept under wraps. So we'll find out, and then you'll find out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> This next one I'm pretty excited about because I'm a huge fan of Annie. Uh, NBC has found its Annie and the 12-year-old Atlanta native Selena Smith following a nationwide search. The young performer has landed the title role in NBC's upcoming uh, holiday musical Annie Live. Smith began her career playing young Nala uh, in the touring company of The Lion King and also appears on the series Tyler Perry's uh, Young Dylan. Uh, Smith joins previously announced stars as Taraji P. Henson, Harry Connick Jr., Nicole Schwarzenegger, and so many more. So 
So, yeah, I'm excited. Like I said, I mean, she's already, like, an up-and-comer. So, shit, kudos to her. Yeah, man, that's I'm pumped. 12 years old to get the lead like that. That's fucking fantastic. Right. I mean, come on now. All right, jump into Sony because this is the biggest one maybe of the, of the week. The official trailer for Marvel's highly anticipated Spider-Man No Way Home finally dropped. Uh, the clip sees Peter Parker face the most brutal foe to date his past after nearly a year of speculation the trailer confirmed the multiverse plot no way home which will bring holland together with villains of previous spider-man cinematic franchises this includes alfred molina's dr octopus jamie fox's electro and willem dafoe's green goblin now, in the most recent Spidey sequel, Parker's true identity was exposed, as you guys know, over the film's final moments. Now confronting exposure and serious consequences, high school student Parker's life has been spun into chaos. Seeking supernatural solution, he goes to the only person he thinks can help, Doctor Strange. Yes. Looking for a spell that will undo the big reveal and set things as they were? Thanks to some trusty teen awkwardness, though, the magic unleashed plunges Parker and Strange into a multiverse of untold danger. Da, da, da. I'm super fucked. The trailer was epic. And uh, it's just going to be amazing. Agreed, it's going to be absolutely fucking amazing. Agreed. I mean, it's already breaking records. And according to Sony Pictures, the teaser trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home has set new all-time records for the most global views in the first 24 hours. With 355.5 million views. Damn! That uh, far surpasses the previous record hailed by the trailer for Avengers Endgame, which picked up 289 million views back in December of 2018. The trailer also earned the most uh, most ever mentions on social media of any movie preview over the first 24 hours with 4.5 million mentions worldwide domestically no way home drew 2.9 million mentions over 24 hours and nearly doubling the 1.9 million that the end game trailer uh, brought in and it's very interesting because i wonder if they just went ahead and released the trailer after it got leaked oh yeah that's exactly why they did that yeah. <laughs> that leak was awful you barely saw anything it was through like three different phones but you know i don't blame them because i mean people have been wanting this trailer forever oh yeah so and it delivered i'm just gonna say it delivered if it you did. haven't seen it yet First of all, I don't believe you because you're 355 million fucking views. Oh, <laughs> but uh, it was epic. I I'm super excited. And not excited about this one. My Bayak, as we told you, will fill in as host of the syndicated episodes of Jeopardy in the wake of Mike Richards' exit. Sony Pictures Television, which produces the long-running quiz show, announced that Bialik... I, I never can say her name either. Bialik? Bialik? I don't know. It's scheduled to tape three weeks of episodes when productions resume uh, this week for a total of 15 episodes. Per Sony, additional guest hosts will be announced at a later date. Why, Lavar fucking Burton? We don't need to run a gambit of guest hosts again, Lavar fucking Burton. That's your host. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Heading over to MGM, Daniel Weber is set to star opposite of Tom Blyth and Billy the Kid. Yeah. Epic's upcoming hour-long drama series, described as the most as epic romantic adventure based on the life of Billy the Kid, also known as William H. Bonney, as it tracks his life from humble Irish roots at the early days as a cowboy and gunslinger in America's frontier to his pivotal role in the Lincoln County War and beyond. Weber is set to play Jesse Evans. Uh, if Billy the Kid hadn't ever uh, hadn't been there, 
Evans would have been the most famous outlaw taking part of the Lincoln County Wars. The the leader of the Seven Rivers gang, Jesse meets Billy with both of them are when both of them are teenagers, unlikely unlike Billy, Jesse has already embraced the life of crime, robbing stores and cattle wrestling. So, I'm very excited about this because you guys know him and I are huge fans of the Billy the Kid story, so it's going to be epic. Oh, yeah, and and I'm trying to go into it without comparing it to Young Guns because I think that's a definitive telling of Billy the Kid, right? It is. So I don't want to compare it until we, we kind of see it because that would be wrong to do. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm probably going to do it anyway. I know. Lionsgate has moved its domestic theatrical premiere for sports drama American Underdog to Christmas Day. The film was originally set to premiere on December 10th. Now this is the one that's starring uh, Zachary Levi as Kurt Warner from the Rams, you know, who basically went from stock and shelves <laughs> to, to Super Bowl fucking champion. Like, it's an impressive story. Now I'm getting this. They say because of a packed schedule on the 10th but you don't move a film to Christmas Day unless you feel like it's got serious potential for Oscar nominations in my opinion and I'm guessing with this storyline and Zachary Levi that's probably a good bet probably just gonna say yeah I I could see that I could really see that Uh, Netflix after weeks of negotiation and rumors soaring all across the web Netflix has closed the deal for a supersized fourth and final season of the hit show Manifest yes previously on NBC Universal which will be available exclusively on Netflix worldwide in a nod to Manifest fans whose passion and support helped uh, resurrect the show from its following cancellation from NBC the announcement of season 4 pickup by Netflix Netflix was made so-called on 828 day, which is 828, which is today, Saturday. Yes. Um, When the series about a mystery flight 828 is celebrated annually, and they also announced this thing at 828 a.m. Pacific time. The final season will be 20 episodes, and it's customary for a series on Netflix. Uh, the 20 episode season will be split into multiple parts, which is not surprising. And you know, those multiple parts will probably be from two, two years apart from each other. Uh, (laughs) actors all participated in the save manifest campaign, which helped keep the show at the top of the Netflix streaming ranks and ultimately bring back from the dead. Yes. So. I know a lot of people are excited about it. Oh, yes. Super excited about it. Uh, and congratulations because that's like the, the most successful save, you know, hashtag campaign since Save Lucifer. So, I mean, congratulations, guys. Uh, th- this is going to be an interesting one. Eddie Murphy will apparently star opposite Jonah Hill in an untitled comedy feature that Kenya Barris is directing for Netflix. Plot details are being kept secret, but it's said to be an inclusive examination of modern love and family dynamics and how clashing cultures, societal expectations, and generational differences shape and affect relationships. Now, Murphy and Hill will find themselves on opposite sides of some of those divides. And this is actually, get this guy, Kenya Barris' feature directorial debut. So, yeah. So, we all know he's a great writer, right? And he's been creating a bunch of shit. So, directorial debut. And you've got Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill. What? Right? Yeah, I bet it's going to be a good one. I agree, man. I agree. Netflix has also acquired the world rights of Reptile, uh, attaching Oscar nominee Justin Timberlake to star opposite of Belinco del Toro, uh, whose casting has already been announced. The film picks up following a brutal murder of a young real estate agent. 
following a hardened detective who's going to be played by Del Toro as he attempts to uncover the truth in a case where nothing seems as it is. Uh, in doing so, he finds himself dismantling the illusions in his own life. Ooh. So, I mean, very intense. I with mean, two phenomenal fucking stars. Hell yeah. So I'm excited about that. Me too. I'm a huge Justin Timberlake fan. Yeah. I, I say it all the time. I think he should get more credit as an actor. And yeah. You put him against Benicio Del Toro, you, that's saying you think he can act. Yeah, he's uh, stepping more in front of the camera too, which I like to see. Uh, me too. Me too. This one was kind of surprising, guys. I mean, so season four has hasn't even aired yet it hasn't even started but apparently cobra kai has been renewed for season five at netflix the news comes just before season four of the critically acclaimed series has premiered the new season of the series is scheduled to debut in december because we've told you that but with season five set to start shooting this fall in atlanta again see Atlanta guys, sign up for that program. Get a be 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 a PA on fucking Cobra Kai. Exactly. How badass would that be, that right? Would be freaking amazing. You probably <laughs> learned some badass moves too. Like <laughs> true. I'm just saying. That's true. Oh man. Well, Stranger Things star Priya Ferguson has signed on to star opposite of Marlon Wayans in his upcoming Halloween adventure comedy movie for Netflix. Ferguson will play a teenage girl who accidentally unleashes uh, an accident. Uh, an ancient and mischievous spirit on oh. Halloween, causing uh, decorations to come alive and wreak havoc. In order to save the town, she must team up with the last person she'd want to, her skeptical father, who's oh. played by Wayans. Oh. So, all right, that already sounds pretty funny. That does uh, sound funny. I'm in on it. Uh, to all the boys I've loved before, breakout star Lana Condor will be joined by Zoe Coletti from Fear of the Walking Dead, Mason Versoff from Gossip Girl, and Apanara Brielle from AP Bio in the Netflix comedy Boo Bitch. Boo! Boo! Bitch! <laughs> I can guess that's how they're going to say it. I don't know. Uh, the plot apparently centers on a high school senior who has lived her life under the radar. Over the course of one night, she seizes the opportunity to change her narrative and start living an epic life. Only to find out the next morning, she's a motherfucking ghost. Damn! That's literally how it's written. She's a motherfucking ghost. Boo, bitch. <laughs> that, okay, I'm in on this one. Like, yeah. if that's original, it sounds like it should be pretty funny. Okay. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, Netflix has tapped Victoria Mahoney <laughs> to direct its sequel to The Old Guard. The superhero live action uh, led by Charlize Theron along with Sharon. Theron, uh, the returning cast will include Kiki Lane, uh, Matthias Charnitas, Marwin Canarzi, uh, Luca Marinelli, Veronica Nigo, and uh, Chatel Ekfor. Um, <laughs> since serving as second unit director on the J.J. Abram-directed Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, Mahoney has become an in-demand director and is currently in talks to helm the graphic novel adaptation of Kill Them All for Paramount. Uh, her credits include the semi-autobiographical drama Yelling to the Sky, uh, starring Zoe Kravitz, and several episodes of television such as The Morning Show, Grey's Anatomy, and The Queen's Sugar. So, very interesting, man. I love it. More female directors. That's yes. what we need. And see, second unit director who's getting step up, becoming the, becoming the director. That's awesome, man. Just... Get on a set. <laughs> Just work your way up. That's how exactly. you got to do it. All right. Now, we're going to end this one. There's no studio attached here, but this story was just too fucking good not to talk about it. This sounds like it could potentially be epic, okay? Here's how it is. It all started, apparently, with a text message, okay? 
Apparently, Dave Batista text message to Jason Momoa saying, hey, man, we should do a buddy cop film together. Now, apparently, the duo is going to do just that. They're in the midst of developing the project. Momoa recently shared a bit of detail about the budding project. He said, quote, Batista literally texted me four days ago going, we need to do a buddy cop film. We love each other. We're on sea and Dune together. And I said, absolutely. And then he said, let's do it in Hawaii. And I said, Okay, let's do it. I have an idea. So it's off to the races, and now we're doing it. That's great. Now, when asked why they think they should do it, Momoa said, Dude, it sells itself. Dave loves wearing Speedos. I love wearing board shorts. And both of us with our shirts off, he'll be grumpy. I'll be charming. Boom. Sells itself. I have hair. He doesn't. We cover all the fucking demographics. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue that. No. Like, like Batista and Momoa in a Speedo and board shorts, shirtless, in Hawaii, chasing bad guys. It's time to end Fast Furious and, and set this shit up. Yeah, okay, right. that's all I'm saying, man. Uh, there is a future for buddy cop films, and that's it. I agree. That would be absolutely <laughs> hysterical. I'm not going to lie. But man, oh man, it is now time for the interview. We've got the one and only Melissa Bruning yes. coming on the show to talk about Space Jam. Man, oh man, this was definitely an interesting one to work on, as she talks about in the interview. But she leaves a lot of advice for the up-and-comers who are trying to break in and other into the entertainment industry in other ways other than just acting yeah i mean i always love these interviews the below the line and if you're not familiar with what btl or below the line is see that's why you should be listening to our show but that you know there's more than just being an actor in front of the camera there's so much more that goes on and so these type of interviews are the ones that we love to have on so agreed. i'm pumped agreed agreed well, here she is. Melissa Bruning, welcome inside the Crazy Ant Farm. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm ready to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we love people to get crazy. Oh, man. But yeah, like he said, what we like to do at the very beginning is have our guests introduce themselves to the listeners. You are a costume designer, so was that something you always wanted to do or did you just kind of fall into it? I actually saw in a previous interview, you started thinking about this career path at the age of eight. Yeah, it, I was an odd kid. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I was lucky. I was raised by artists. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, my dad is a sculptor. My mom was a painter. Um, and I, and they're both educators also. And I like the three-dimensional quality of costume design. Mm -hmm. And specifically, you know, I thought for sure I was Broadway bound. And for a uh. long time I did theater. I did sets and costumes in high school. I have a... BFA in technical theater, which basically means like sets and costumes. Right. And I did sets and lights and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I went and got a master's in costume design from NYU. So it was pretty much like junior high, like, I like theater. I like clothes. I like to make things. I could sew. <laughs> and then it just sort of like kept defining into more of a path. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got to New York, I I had worked on a lot of um, off-Broadway and some like Broadway tryouts. And it was the 90s and film, we didn't study film in school. It was sort of there because it was NYU Film School mm -hmm. was right. next to it. But we were like, we're doing theater. <laughs> so we didn't really dabble in it much. And it was the kind of indie heyday where anybody who could find a million dollars or a half million dollars scrapped together a film. That's right. So somebody called me and they're like, hey, do you want to work on this film? And I was like, yeah, okay. 
And I found out that I really, I loved it. I loved how immediate it was. Yes. It was my, my fear for myself was that I was going to end up doing West Side Story in Ohio. Which, you know, I love West Side Story and I love Ohio, but it wasn't the career path that I was wanting to do. And to be a Broadway designer, I mean, you're a Broadway designer till you die. So like Willa Kim was still designing on Broadway in her 80s. And I was like, there's no room. There's just unless you somehow find like that niche in, I just didn't feel like there was room for me. Mm. But I love film, and I felt like there was room for me in film. See, and and I feel like no matter what position, right, on a film, I feel like once you're a part of it, once you're on board, that magic hat, and there's like no other feeling like that, right? It's just like, whoa, I want to be here. I want to do this. I think it's just an unmatched parallel when people get on and they're like, whoa. (laughs) It's visual storytelling yeah what i was trained to do part of our um the master's program at nyu you had to present a project they were like okay we're doing Chekhov siegel but you had to approach it as a director Mm. as you know this is sort of the idea i'm coming from like Mm -hmm. i want to do it all in black and white or i want to do it very realistic but this happens at times or you know you you kind of come to the project with your own ideas and i feel like that has helped me a lot in film because I'm actually able to work. Film directors don't always come from a visual artist identity. Uh And I feel like I'm able to give them that artistic component of like, if we do all the colors desaturated here, but we push it, scale it up in this section, it's going to give you an extra emphasis in that area. And it's, it's a language that I take from theater, but Uh I feel like it's helpful to directors in mainstream films also. No, that's a very interesting, like way to look at it. Cause like we told, you before we started recording you're our first ever costume designer so i mean like i mean speaking of the latest project you did space jam a new legacy i can imagine with the final like sequence the whole like basketball game being shot in the dark did you have to navigate that challenge in some sort of way maybe bring out the brightness of more colors we definitely did in fact i didn't even know it was being shot in the dark till we did a camera test oh wow and i was like Oh, wow. Because you're so used to stadiums being so bright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the kids, maybe I was like, oh, it's going to be bright and cheery and very, you know, like stadium like. And it was not that at all. And so, you know, which is why you do camera tests Mm -hmm. and visual tests so that everybody's on the same page. But what we realized, too, because I was testing different colors of uniforms. And what I realized was that the lights that they were using for Space Night Mm -hmm. were desaturating the colors that I was using in uniforms. So I had to go back and punch everything up and make it Mm. much more vivid, um, mainly so that it didn't gray out. Mm. Interesting. Um, which is, you know, and but then it shows up on products and stuff like that. Also extremely graphic and visual, mm-hmm. which I feel like works for the piece. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of what I do is defined by the lighting on the set. So it's mm. defined by the actors, what they want to wear, how they wear it, what fits them, who they are. It's defined by the lighting because the lighting creates a three-dimensionality to it. So if the costume is really working, 
it works well under the lights. Too. Right. So do you work in close relation with the gaffer then? Do you do, like, do you have conversations back and forth? Like after he's done what he's doing with the director and they figure out how it's going to be lit and what the plan is. And I mean, do you have conversation back and forth saying, okay, here's the lighting scheme. So I need to know this, this, and this so that when you, when your process begins, and I guess that's another question for anybody out there listening. When does your process begin? Are you brought in at what point during pre-production? Do you start to come in and do your work? Well, first of all, I've, I'm usually informed by the, the DP, okay. director of photography, about what how he's going to light it. Okay. And also the production designer of these are, they usually do um, visuals of the sets. Right. Of how they're going to be lit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also in this concept art of what it would look, what it should look like when they light it on stage. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't necessarily talk to them specifically, although when we do camera tests and we look at the footage, that's when we say, oh, I need to bump this up. I need gotcha. to take this down. Especially um, like in the Planet of the Apes movies, I had to see the level of distressing, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the scenes at night, I needed to punch up the distressing mm-hmm. so that it was it still it didn't clean up too much but if it was a daylight scene then you didn't want to see too much texturizing and it's kind of the same way with space jam where you know i had to find out how they were lighting it Mm -hmm, and then also because it was a lot of motion capture work with the tunes and working with animation i had to check with them to see how they were going to approach that piece of it yeah so it's a lot of production meetings but i i like to pride myself on that i feel like i have enough experience that when somebody shows me those visuals i can give them what they need very interesting very interesting and i'm glad you brought up planet of the apes too because that was going into my next question with it being a lot of motion capture with planet of the apes and with um the new space jam movie does that bring a new like hurdle to jump over or is it kind of just another thing to throw in the book and just go down the original process i think it was it was helpful for me because i was one of the few people on the project in the beginning who had any motion capture experience okay so i you know when you're doing motion capture we have to have these motion capture suits Mm -hmm. that we have made and so i have a close relationship with the visual effects department because their needs are always changing so even just during the apes movies the outfits evolved Mm -hmm. right and then I've had motion capture on two of the Apes movies on Rampage with Dwayne Johnson and also on Space Jam. So I also know a lot of the performers. And when they were starting to do some of the the practice for the game, mm-hmm. they call they had basketball players that they auditioned and came in to help play the different parts of the goons. But the oh, tunes cool. require somebody who is more um whimsical mm-hmm. and gymnastic and so terry notary who i'd worked with on a couple of uh, on the apes movies and then also on rampage i was like you guys should you should talk to terry because he knows all those guys right that flip up and down and and do loony stuff and so you know when you're working on production i like to think that i'm also i i'm a helping the whole process yeah yeah people that i know people that that i've worked with that i feel like will help make everything better 
I can say, hey, you should call Terry. Right. And, and, and they did. And that's, that's what great. it's all about, right? It's about the best possible product, the finished product. And, and if you're, if there's a better way, if there's a better person, if there's a better idea, right? You shouldn't be afraid to say, this is what we should do. And I love that you brought that up because we talk about that all the time. It's a collaborative effort. Filmmaking is a collaborative right. effort and you can't have an ego. You've got to be able to listen as well as tell. And, and so I love that. I love that you brought that up. And also I'm, I'm very interested because you talked about camera testing and and all the different things, but and, and that you've been at it for a while. So I'm, I'm really curious, the transition from film to digital and, and kind of that whole process over the last few decades, right? And the, the whole computer era of previs, right? Do, do you find that that's, I mean, because now they can light the whole thing right there on the computer and they can see how it's going to play out and what it's going to look like before they ever set up a light. So do you find that whole process easier now? Does that make your job easier, more difficult, or or do you just approach it a different way with that? I love a previs. I mean, it tells me the director's intention, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm not going to waste time on this group of background if I know it's a foreground shot Mm, mm -hmm. for most of it or if if the concentration is going to be you know in a tight or a medium I'm not going to stress out about the level of the shoes being right Mm -hmm. right if that makes sense yeah. But if it is if it's a shoe shot, thank God I know. <laughs> like, like it's like you'll look at something sometimes and be like, or wait, who's that guy over there that he's interacting with? Oh yeah, he's kind of background. But I think we're gonna cast a stunt. I'm like, well, for me, this is a major player. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not on paperwork, not probably doesn't have a name. Right. But for me, I know he's interacting with my lead mm. or my my second. So he's important. He's part of a storytelling component and so i know this costume is going to be next to this costume and sometimes you get a list of stunt performers and you're like oh they're just going to fall off a building in the back but if they're involved in more of a way towards the front of camera you know that you have to take special care with that yeah yeah wow see so much exactly goes into it very interesting and i mean with this being it's not yeah and it's not even like going to the mall and just picking out clothes right there's there's actual art of filmmaking that as a costume designer I feel like I bring a level of knowledge to everybody else of like well I can give you this Mm -hmm. or if we do it this way I'm going to make sure that when you have have your composition of visual composition I'm going to make sure it all looks like a painting right that nothing's going to jump out too much that nothing's going to recede too much so that they get that beautiful visual picture. Right. And I mean, what was it like? Because Warner Brothers, Warner Media is such a legendary film studio in Hollywood. And they definitely like touched on each one of their big franchises in this film, (laughs) which I thought was absolutely amazing. Like with Casablanca and Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, all of it. Uh, What was that like? Did you just kind of get to open up a whole big like wardrobe thing and pick out certain selections from different franchises on the Warner Brothers lot or like did they have that specifically in mind well it it starts with the script right uh-huh. so if there's something specifically called for our problem with this it takes a long time to clear things through legal mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> 
we didn't, you know, it was kind of a moving target. Mm -hmm. So we knew we might be doing this costume, might be doing that costume. Oh, wow. But if it didn't legally clear, then we couldn't do it. Mm. So, you know, we got to a point where we would start to build, like I would go to the line producer and say, I I need to start now. Mm -hmm. If I don't start building this costume, it won't be ready for shooting. Right. But we don't have permission to actually build it yet. Mm. And so with the line producer, we talk about which is money well spent, right? Do you spend the 10 grand to build the costume and maybe it ends up on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. or do you screw up your schedule because the costume's not ready and you can't shoot it? Right. You need to. Right. So it's all sort of a variable of, you know, what do you need ready by what day? Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the, at the scene spoiler, when they're at the game and we have <laughs> all the sort of Warner brother characters yeah. there. I mean, that was three months of clearing characters. Oh, wow. And starting to build, like I basically went through the whole catalog and at first it started with just villains. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, we're not going to have enough villains. Right. Because like there's one villain in the movie and then like everybody else is good. So, you know, and then I would just make a list and start submitting it to clearance and I get every couple days, I would get paperwork back from them saying, this estate says no. (laughs) Damn. about it but it came in a film that has alcohol or drugs right this one you know and you had to so each film had to have a different layer of clearance Mm, wow before we get to presenting to the director these are the characters i can clear for you so i had a i had a thick like three inch binder of the picture of the character and the film it was from and what our level of clearance was on it wow and as we would go through, once something got okay, we move it to a different one so that the shop could start building it. But so, we got to a point where, you know, Harry Potter is not clearing yet. Mm, JK hasn't like right. said yes or no. So we had to just go ahead and build it, hope for the best. So the last week of shooting the background, Voldemort finally got pushed out there to mm-hmm. be in the crowd because we didn't have permission before that. Right. So, how, okay. So, so a, a couple of questions. Th- through all that do you because what what yeah well what you brought up is a very good point though when you when you talk about the line producer and and thankfully a lot of our listeners n- know what a line producer is <laughs> um so but so when you talk about that though like you said you know it, it's a balancing act right because either do do we spend the money here to make the costume and then it's never seen or do we mess up the schedule either or is going to cost money yeah. you're going to you're going to lose money either way right so that balancing act so so i love that and then i guess when you were talking about all of the the clearances and and the different things like that it, Logan, you brought up the, a good point of all the legacy films, right? And all the different Warner Brothers films. But there's also the original Space Jam. <laughs> and they are very particular about the original Space Jam. And and so what was that process like to have to come in and go, okay, I want to do all of this, but I can't do this because we don't want to trample on the original Space Jam. And so what was your approach to kind of like update it, I guess, and kind of give it a whole new fresh look, but so but similar to the original because, you know, it is homage it is it it is the same so how do you go how do you make something different but the same i mean i think you have to rely on your director right right what does your director want what's important to him um you know what what year are you setting this so Mm -hmm. for me i knew it was going to come out i knew it was going to come out in 2021 even though we're shooting in 2019 and Mm -hmm. so for the modern day dress stuff i was looking at um 
just contemporary, you know, you the, if you go up the food chain of fashion, you look at the high fashion and what's going to start trickling down. So you look at the colors, you look at the textures, you get the expensive designers because they're sort of at the forefront of it. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, it, it felt, it's like a fine line. You want it to feel contemporary, mm-hmm. but you also want it to feel timeless. Mm. Ooh, so you yeah. don't want anything that's so disturbing to the eye that you're not going to be able to concentrate. In the original Space Jam, um, I think that he wore a polo outfit, right. which is a very like timeless kind of look. Right. And so we also were trying to, I was like, okay, let's look at bomber jackets or mm. styles that don't have a specific collar. The colors I tried to keep very in the Looney Tunes family. Mm-hmm. Yep saturated and bright and i used brands that were expensive because they're a rich family i want that to come through right um and so you know you just sort of play around with that when you get to recreating things like casablanca or mad max or um what else matrix that it's a given that is what it is right challenge is how do you create that for somebody who's like six nine? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. how, do you, how do you translate scale? Right. With you know, which is a different sort of thing. And luckily, my education in cost, like because of my masters, because I can, I have actually made a lot of costumes. Mm-hmm. I had to take tailoring, and I had to take hat making, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like um, fabrics and fabrication is a real strong skill of mind that I have. So the characters at the Space Jam game were for me. I was like, yeah, yeah let's do it. Let's, you know, oh, Wicked Witch of the West, check. Right. <laughs> and I would have assistants come in. I had just two, I think completely just fabric assistants that would come in with fabric swatches every day for me to look through to pick, to buy, to make those costumes out of. Oh, wow. That's so interesting to hear. And I mean, I've, I'm just curious about this too. Um, is it all a beforehand thing or do you actually have to make some stuff on set? I mean, does it get, do you get into a bind sometimes where you have to make a, at least a certain kind of costume on set? At this level, you shouldn't. Right. <laughs> right. You should not. Well, it's, it's too much at stake. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, and you have a lot of, um, uh, What's the word for it? You you have a lot of like markers you have to check. So right. You have to do a fitting with the actor. The actor has to like it. Mm-hmm. And then you present those pictures to the director. And then the director picks what they like. And then the studio looks at it and they say what they like. And so you have several stages that you go to before the costume is ready. And then the costumes have to go to a trailer. They have to get ready so that they're steamed out and ready and in an actor's trailer at 4 a.m. Right. You can't really... I've been on indies where it's like, oh, wait, we're going to call this guy up and he needs to look dirty. And I'm like, okay, crap. Okay, yeah. (laughs) You know, and I don't... I luckily don't have to do that kind of stuff mm-hmm. as much anymore because right. it's very like it's hard to sleep yeah i can imagine oh yeah if, if every day you're going to be thrown a curveball and like oh god do i do i do i have this right like, like those nightmare scenarios where you're on an indie film and they're supposed to get bloody and they realize we've got to do another take and you only had one shirt wait <laughs> wait what <laughs> yeah. like that type stuff I mean, right i mean i did back in the day Hey, I did a movie called um, Club Dread with the uh, Broken Lizard guys that I did um, 
super troopers with yeah. Yeah. in Mexico. And they literally were so behind on shooting that I had like a number of clothes for some of those bloody moments. Right. But I didn't have enough to have like, because you know, you've got your lead, you've got the pre, you've got the right. post, you've got all these different levels. Well, they brought in a whole team of stunt people to be these people. Oh, wow. And I, I didn't have enough clothes for that. And so everybody got one and then we'd have to wash it out. Oh my oh, goodness. Man. It was a nightmare. And none of them existed anymore because we'd been shooting in Mexico for three months. Right. Nobody else on my crew spoke English except for one girl. And I didn't speak Spanish. I took French in school. (laughs) Right. So it's like those kinds of things. Like, thank God. I feel like I'm at a place in my career where, you know, I don't have as much of that. Mm -hmm. But we did on Space Jam. There was... Don Cheadle's character was supposed to be a motion capture suit. Mm. He was not going to be in clothes. And we'd ask at every meeting, so is Don going to be in clothes? Are we, are we going to do LG? <laughs> right. No, no. Digital effect, all digital. Well, then the day came of like, you know what? He's so great. <laughs> Here's the earth. Uh. He'll himself and we'll just augment it. And I was like, okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> just in three days and I have nothing. Oh my oh. goodness. For this man. Like, we all looked at each other and the co- we're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, heart, <laughs> you know, when your heart starts to be like, oh God, we're going to be in an earthquake. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and we suffered through and it was it was hairy i'm not going to i'm not going to lie and we just kept churning things out every day because one costume became i think we probably had 30 costumes oh wow i mean there's so much stuff that's not in the film there's a whole dance sequence Mm, okay. Um, this didn't make it in, but you don't know what's going to make it in. Right. right. So everything at 100%. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, speaking of Don Cheeto's costumes, I have to say, I'm from Indiana, diehard Hoosier fan, so I love that little notion about Bobby Knight. I bet a lot of people did not catch that, but I was cracking up in the theater when everybody else was like, what is he laughing about? But yes. I know. I know. There's so much inside basketball in this film. Like if you're a real basketball player and into it, yeah. there's like all these gestures, yes. game time. There's like, there's all this stuff that is so layered that it's. I, I feel what's great about this film is you know my kids liked it mm-hmm. and they're four and seven and that's great. Yeah, check. But if but you know friends of mine that are older are like, yeah, I liked it because I'm into basketball. Yeah, there you, you go. All Side stuff, or other people are like, "Well, I just like LeBron." Or, yeah, right. <laughs> I just what they would do with it, or I'm a huge Don Cheadle fan. Yeah, you know. So I feel like it's got a lot for everybody. Agreed, oh, agreed. And I mean, you've gotten a chance to dress like a whole bunch of amazing actors and talent <laughs> in Hollywood. I mean, The Rock, Val Kilmer, Christopher Walken, LeBron James, Don Cheadle. The list goes on and on. Wish with a spoon. Yeah, like. <laughs> What, who would you say was your favorite or your favorite costume that you got to put on these magnificent people? Hmm, that's a hard one. Right? <laughs> I mean, as far as like dressing somebody and kind of living with them through the movie, mm-hmm. Reese definitely. Mm. I mean, she's, she's an awesome person and just to know that I could support her in this role. And I, when I was doing the film, I was also pregnant with my son. Oh, wow. So she would be like, don't you go out there. 
Don't go out there. I look great. Just send, just send Lindsay. And I was like, are you sure I can walk out there? And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I get it. She was like, I had to work through all my pregnancies and it sucks, you know. But so like as a person who I adore and as a performer that I felt like just nailed it and just knowing like, you know, 90s clothes are not attractive. Right, right. So <laughs> we really, you know, we did our best. I got to work with Cheryl, whose story it was. And so it was a very, um, it was a very personal project yeah. in that way. Yeah. And so I feel like, I feel like that's, that means a lot. But I mean, I've been very lucky to work with very talented people. I well, love Dwayne. He's great. I love LeBron. He's great. You know, it's, it's, these are professionals and they treat me like a professional. And I hope that I, I like to think that, that that what I can do that's best for them is to make them feel comfortable, that they feel like that character, that they can forget about what they're wearing, mm-hmm. that they can just be who that person is. And I, I think through my work in theater that like I'm used to working with actors to develop like, oh, I need this. This scarf is going to help me be this person. Right. So I feel like I I want to unhamper them from the clothes. Yeah. I don't want them thinking about do I look good in this or not. I just want them to feel right. See, well, and I and I I think he did really really well with Wild. Like if you were like oh '90s clothes and all that because that movie inspired so many people. That character inspired so many people. And I got to tell you. When everybody decided to take that journey and go hiking and do that, and they start posting all their pictures everywhere, they all look like Reese. So I think they were all emulating your guy. You know, it's like, well, if that's how you dress, then that's how we dress. So, yeah, exactly. Well and done. That's right. That's right. So, okay, so first of all, thank you so much because I really feel like a lot of people out there just think that, like you said at the top of the interview, costume designers run out and buy some clothes and bring it into the set and that's what they wear. So to have this conversation and get it out there about what really goes on and the process and everything is just fantastic. And what we normally do near the end is is to have you pass along some advice and, and things like that. But what I think would be really cool is kind of for anybody out there that maybe is sketching some designs, right? And wants to, and kind of, what is the process? How does one go from sketching some designs with dreams of being in the movies? Where do you start? How do you get in? What's the path? Because I feel like a lot of people have no clue, right? They know acting's easy, right? You got to go audition, but how yeah. do you how do yeah. you do costume design? I mean, I I think that you should go to school for it. I think that the, it is a trade that you are you are helped by knowing what you are doing, by knowing the history of what's behind it, uh-huh. by doing character analysis in classes. You know, you do Chekhov and you know, okay, this is the climate of the country that this play is in. Uh-huh. This is the temperature. This is the season. This is this is who this woman is. She wears this kind of stuff. This right. is and I think that you know everything I do is character development. It's all about who this person in life is. Mm. And history and context. And I think that if you learn that in school, then you can learn that on the job. I I would I just talked to a bunch of NYU graduates and my advice to them was find the biggest film that you can get on and be a PA in the costume department. That's right. And just don't set yourself up to fail. Just be there to observe and watch. And mm-hmm. I know the money sucks, but eventually you will get there and there's going to be tricks that you will learn 
at a higher level, and you're going to get more exposure to different types of filmmaking mm -hmm. with all the bells and whistles than you do on independent films. But you do that, you watch, you learn, and then you do your own independent film. That's right. And you right. take what you've learned and you take the people who you like and the people who will do favors for you because you've been so good doing these bigger things that then you can design your own stuff. Mm. And I think, you know, I did a lot of going back and forth. I'd work on something big and then I do my own piece. Uh -huh. And you learn, it, it's twofold. You learn through the big stuff and you learn through the small stuff. Right. And if you can do the small films, you can certainly do the big films. Oh, that's so good. Love that. That's so good. I mean, all these up and coming artists are just going to absolutely love this one. We appreciate you so much again. I mean, from the of bottom course. of our hearts, we anytime you ever want to come back on, there's a yeah. lot more stuff that we would like to talk about with you. So like anytime, like this was a blast. Absolutely. Um, but it's all about social media now. So where <laughs> can people follow you? Um, they can go to my Instagram, Melissa Rooney okay. and I post updates. Um, and, you know, luckily I'm getting out there. I'm doing some interviews because I believe in costume design and yes. I think it's important for people to understand that it's an art form. Yes, completely agree. Completely agree. Well, listen, take care. Thank you so much yet again. We appreciate it so much. And uh, you have just a great rest of the evening and we'll be talking uh, to you soon. You. Of course. All of right, course. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was absolutely amazing. I mean, I love when we do below-the-line individuals because that's where it's at. Yeah. That is what – without those people – and you know who we're talking about, the people that you don't sit in and watch at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? The list of people. Nothing happens without them. And to hear the process, I mean, wow. Yeah. That was intense. Yeah. What goes into something is something that a lot of people think is just a simple thing. Exactly. And it is not a simple thing. And um, I had, like, I love the whole approach it as a director. It's mm -hmm. a very visual medium and, like, you know, I, it was just amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I learned so much. Like, honestly, I wouldn't even thought – the more she talked about going to school, we talk about all the time when it comes to acting and or directing or writing, you don't necessarily need school for it. But when it comes to something like costume design and like making connections in school, yeah. I feel like that is very important. That's a very important niche to go to school for because there's so many different fabrics. There's so many different like types of designs that you should probably be learning before you even step foot on a film set. So just to get that information and put that out to the world, I think is very important. Exactly. And and then life experience because she was talking about experience. You need to know this character and that character and it's all about character development. And so, and the biggest thing guys, see, it doesn't matter whether you're an actor a director, you know, everything above the line in front of the camera, right? Or you're below the line and you're designing costumes and everything. What did she say? Get on a set. Yep. That is invaluable experience where you learn the most. Get on a set. So uh, that's the trend from every guest we ever talk to. So if you're listening, get on a set. Agreed, man. Agreed. <laughs> Melissa was just absolutely phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Oh, man. Thank you again, Melissa, for coming on the show. All right. <laughs> now it is time for the top five, man. And we're just kind of on a roll. Jason must be reading a lot or something. I... Because now, I mean, you guys know, last week was nonfiction books. So this week, it's fiction books. And I mean, you know, you guys know that we love film and television. So a lot of our stuff is kind of related to that. Things that get adapted 
adaptation. Ah, adapted. That's the word. Adapted to content like that. So yes, yes, yes. I'm, I've been up since like five thirty. It's fine. It's fine. All right, number five for me goes back to like my middle school days because this one I I love, man. I absolutely enjoyed because this could literally be anyone. Number five, it's Slam. Now, it's a basketball-based story where basically this guy is trying to become like his idol that is also in the neighborhood that also plays basketball. Well, he idolized this guy throughout the whole book, tries to be better than him, if not the same skill level. But then at the end of it, he realizes that his idol that is super good at basketball is also dealing drugs in the street. And so it's just like a... It's like a, you know, a story that you're like, oh, he's my idol, but he's not as good as I thought he was. Because you put people up on a pedestal sometimes when you don't need to and when you should just be trying to develop yourself rather than trying to make yourself into someone else. So I think that's very important because it's always good to have idols in a certain aspect of life. But don't try to idolize everybody in their entire life because you have to become your own person. So that's why number five for me is Slam. Okay. Got deep. That, that, that got real deep. Um, my number five was um, written about the year that I was in middle school and first year of high school. Um, but it, it, it was not written that year, though. It was about that year. It was supposed to be the future. Um, I'm, of course, talking about George Orwell's 1984. Um, I thought I said 1904. <laughs> no, 1984, dude. Come on now. Um, I'd be looking fucking good if it was 1904. I'm just saying, man. I'm the, I must be immortal. Where's the fucking sword? There can only be one. <laughs> I will chop the motherfucking heads off. I am staying. Um, anyway, back to 1984. Uh, as you guys know, this is a story about a dystopian future which eerily predicted pretty much the fucking Trump generation. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. this story is just like, we're, I, I feel like we're living it. This dystopian future of where all the things that we're going through and the chaos and the, and the disturbing social issues and all of the kind of things that we're seeing pretty much was predicted in this book, 1984. And everybody thought it was like this far out crazy, this could never happen. This is so out there. And yet, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend going and reading it and looking at the parallels and looking at the similarities of what's going on in society today. And you'll realize, I guess, the, the, the genius and the foretelling of George Orwell because it's fucking scary. Yeah, seriously. It I really mean, is. But yes, it's a great one. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, number four for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number four for me is Catcher and the Rye. And it's for us. It's yeah, number ditto. four for us. Ditto. So, I mean, for me, I mean, I love anything, whether it's television, um, movies, and or books, that is all about teenage angst and trying to find yourself. And especially when you're being fucking stupid and have to overcome that sometimes. And you're not realizing it at the time. So I love trying to see people's like process of trying to you know, go through things. Absolutely. And speaking of the process of getting that book written yeah, and then the aftermath of the success of that book, if you guys want to know 
the story of J.D. Salinger and the and this book, The Catcher in the Rye, I highly, highly, highly recommend watching Rebel in the Rye with Nicholas Holt. It was written and directed by Danny Strong, our buddy Danny Strong. It's a brilliant film and look at how the character in The Catcher in the Rye was created by J.D. Salinger and what it was supposed to be and what it turned into. Uh, it's it's creepy. Amy Rutberg, another former guest, is in that one. It's a brilliant film. Check it out, and it only makes sense. And then you'll read this book. Yeah. <laughs> if you've never read the book, you'll want to read the book after seeing the film. Um, it's crazy. It really is, man. It really is. Uh, number three for number you. Number three is, I mean, I'm switching this one up last minute. Switching it up to The Great Gatsby. Oh, shit, you just like... I completely forgot about The Great Gatsby for some reason. I don't know why, but... I mean, <laughs> and he's a Leo fan. No, of course. Uh, I mean, come on! Of course, but I mean, this is one of those classic love stories where you never get what you want. I mean, you know, you know, you try to send signals like across the lake and shit, <laughs> but you never get what you want. You try, you try, you try... And then the motherfucker's, like, husband shoots you dead. Mm. So, you know, I mean, throwing all these extravagant parties, trying to do all these big gestures to try to get your loved one to come just to make an appearance, but it never happens. But then, of course, I mean, Leo, duh. Like, what the fuck? But, I mean, and the mysterious, like, the mysterious story behind Gatsby. I feel like that is something that everybody's always interested in, the mystery behind people and other things in general so i feel like this book did really well at portraying all of that so that's why number three for me is the great gatsby see you had me thinking about the rolling stones too and the passing of the drummer and just like oh man but you can't always get what you want it's true you said it it's true (laughs) my number three is the fictional novel that single-handedly spawned more lawyers than any other story in history without doubt no kidding it's to kill a mockingbird by harper lee um at it's fucking brilliant okay it's about a black man wrongfully accused uh and defended by a white lawyer who's pretty much ostracized from the community for defending this black man um and and it touches on so many things, again, that we're seeing in society today. The wrongful incarceration of so many people of color. Um, you know, the, the, the standard, they must have done it because they're black uh, kind of a thing. And then the ostracization of people who defend them and, and stand up for them. And it's eerie to think that this was written so long ago. And yet, here we are in 2021 still dealing with these same issues. Yeah. It, it, it's pathetic honestly but um it's a brilliant book it's a brilliant film um and i i I mean read the book watch the film it's honestly too one of the closest adaptations in film of a book i've ever seen yeah it's pretty much spot on so um if you haven't done it read it it's a good one and it's important agreed man agreed and this is the second time i get to talk about this on today's show which i'm very excited about (laughs) because the second on my fiction books is the whole Harry Potter series. I've actually only read the first four, three or four, something like that. It's been forever ago, but I mean, it's basically the same thing. Come on now, J.K. Rowling was like involved in the whole process when it comes to the filmmaking side, so of course it's damn near the same thing. A little bit more tweaks here or there, but I mean, it's such a fun, lovable stories, and you guys know I'm super big into like 
the witchcraft, medieval, all that good stuff that's kind of like put into one genre. So that's why I love Harry. And I'm just saying, I don't know. Sirius Black didn't do it, so don't don't hold it against him. All right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. You have to watch <clears throat> it to know. I know. Well, and I plan to. Mm-hmm. Because why? It's going to be on HBO Max again. Thank God. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that's how it is. My number two is by one of the single greatest actresses of our generation. One of the single greatest underappreciated actresses of our generation. I'm talking about the lovely, the adorable Lauren Graham, who also, by the way, is a top writer. Best-selling author, yes. And her book, her first book, Someday, Someday, Maybe, my number two on books of fiction, which is odd because it's a fictional book about fictional characters, but it's semi-autobiographical, almost kind of telling her life story um, about a woman who moves to New York to become an actress, and it's not happening, and she's about to give up when she finally gets the break. And in real life, that would be Gilmore Girls. Yes. Um. But anyway, it's phenomenal, and at one point was going to be made into a series. Ellen DeGeneres picked this up and was gonna was gonna be made into a series on the CW, and Mae Whitman was gonna star in in the in the lead role, um, and and Lauren Graham was gonna write the series, and it all kind of fell apart. And I'm asking why? Right? Somebody like, fuck? fucking picked that. It's Lauren Graham, Mae Whitman. What the fuck are you waiting for? Like, pick that shit up. And you pick up the book and read it because it's a fucking phenomenal read. She's fantastic. She's a brilliant uh, writer. Um, and please, somebody make that show. Please. Or just give us money and we'll make the fucking show. Right. That's fine. We'll do it. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, number one for me goes to Lord of the Flies because Ooh. this is a social experiment without actually experimenting with shit. Uh, as you know, some of these kids, they get trapped on an island and they go completely fucking rogue. Like, they start their own tribes, and people are killing people, like, pushing people off cliffs. And these kids aren't even that old, I don't think. I don't remember the exact age of them, but I think they were, like, middle school age and shit. But, like, fighting for power and all this different stuff. So it's just very interesting to see when you take away humanity, basically, and you take away civilization. What do we become? We become animals, basically. So it's a very interesting storytelling of that whole process, and... How we all can just turn crazy at just like that. I, ha- I I feel like, you know, for anybody who's read Lord of the Flies, it's hard not to see that that was a possible inspiration for the Hunger Games, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it had to have played into the, the – for the creator process of the Hunger Games. It's so similar in nature as to what was going on, right? I mean, just – making that distinction i think but it's a great it's a great book and deservedly number one my number one is actually a novel that wasn't finished but was published posthumously after the death i'm talking of course about f scott fitzgerald's the last tycoon um has hands down always been my favorite non-fiction book Oh, I mean, not fiction book. My non- <laughs> well, and nonfiction, and let me explain why. Because it's long been rumored, and at some point, I'm sure will be confirmed that Monroe Star, the 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 character in this book, was based on MGM Golden Boy Irving Thalberg. Uh, you, you know, the right hand man to to Louis B. Mayer. Um, so fiction, but not fiction. Um, you guys, I mean, it it was a movie with Robert De Niro, a young Bobby, a young Bobby De Niro that. Did not work. 
Um, and then our buddy Billy Ray made a series out of it, which worked fucking phenomenally with Matt Bomer and Lily Collins and Kelsey Grammer. And um, the powers that be at Amazon at the time thought it was too expensive and they canceled it. Um, well, now you've got more money than God and you've got Jennifer Salky who right. likes to spend more money than God. You're spending, what, $2 billion on fucking Lord of the Rings? It's time to bring it back. Yes. It's time to bring the last tycoon back. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's about this guy who's basically trying to hold on. He's one of the last great studio you know, heads in the golden age of Hollywood. And when it's all kind of coming to an end, he's desperately trying to hold on to keep it alive. Um, it's a brilliant fucking novel about the entertainment industry. And it's a beautiful show about the entertainment industry. And if you haven't read it, um, read it and then watch the series. It is still available on Amazon to watch. Bring it back. Do it. Um, and, and so I, I, I wish it would be finished. I wish somebody, I mean, not hard and possible. This guy's dead, but uh, it'd be awesome to see somebody's into why, which is why I wanted to see the continuation on Amazon. Wouldn't yeah. you like to see where Billy Ray would have finished this novel? Right? Like, I, I don't know. It would have been bad. It would have been badass. Oh man. But what is your number one fiction book? We want to know. Be sure to drop a comment down in the YouTube section, podcast section and <laughs> did or you, did you just go off Southern in the YouTube section? In the YouTube section, in the <laughs> you, podcast section. You and drop that comment in the YouTube section. Or on <laughs> the social media platform <laughs> like come on now that's how you ring it that's how you ring the bell is you spit your yes we love it we love it we love the fan interaction <laughs> and we want more of it come on let's go now heading over to the box office recap uh i gotta say with free guy not being on the streaming platform say they release and or on a streaming platform at all i feel like it has took it has taken the least amount of droppage. Of course, it still dropped $10 million, but I feel like the, all of the other movies dropped significantly more mm -hmm. percentage-wise when it comes to second weekend. Yeah. Um, number one was Free Guy with 18.8, .8, and last weekend it made like 28.8 mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. So, like I said, percentage-wise, I think it's doing the best, and, I mean, that might be the answer behind the same-day release and theatrical release problem at well, the box if, office. If I'm not mistaken, it's the first one to, to remain at number one the following week too, right? All the other big ones that opened at number one with, with totals dropped out of the first spot in the following week i think uh black widow was number one the second week but not the third week but i don't know no didn't i thought black widow got bumped off the, the second week by um now i can't remember what it was but space jam yeah because it fell to third remember mm. and then rebounded the second place then the this might have been the first one yeah yeah which more so proves your point about should it just be theatrically released? And this bodes really well for Scarlett Johansson. It does. <laughs> because the fact that he was able to hold the number one spot for more than a week, and he was only in theaters. And I'm going to tell you right now, if Shang-Chi does that, Disney might as well just cut the check to fucking Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Because Shang-Chi's only going to be in the theaters, and that opens next week. And if it holds number one for two weeks in a row, Scarlett's getting a big pay. Agreed, man. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Agreed. Number two is Paw Patrol. The movie came in with... 13 million. Number three was Jungle Cruise with 6.2 million. Number four was Don't Breathe 2 with 5 million. And number five was Respect with 3.8. Yes. Nobody showing Aretha some respect. So, I mean, that was a phenomenal movie. Right? Uh, Marlon Wayans, like, did such a good job in a dramatic role. I've never seen him in a dramatic role, and damn, like, it was really good. He was an asshole, but it was really good. <laughs> 
Um, the new movie's coming out this week, uh, Candyman, which what I heard is pretty decent. And which apparently will be number one next weekend, because yeah. it, it's making a killing right now. Uh, the Colony, and Together, so you can see all of those at select theaters this weekend. But mm. like we told you, next week we got Shang-Chi, and uh, apparently a new Mortal Kombat movie. So I'm wondering if that one's going to be animated or not. So hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, movies you can still go see right now, The Suicide Squad, The Protégé, The Night House, uh, Reminiscence, and Black Widow. I want to um, I want to see The Protégé. I think I'm going to go check that out. That's mm-hmm. the one with Michael Keaton where yeah. he's like this badass assassin or whatever and he's trying to like take out – So I, I want to see it. I, th- yeah. I think it's going to be pretty badass. It's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be interesting. Now the top trending – now we're going over to the IMDb trending segments. You yes. guys know we love it. We love it. We use it during the show to look up some actors. It's the best thing in Hollywood right now, so be sure to check it out. Uh, the top <laughs> trending movie is Free Guy. By no surprise, everybody's loving this one, eating up all the Ryan Reynolds cake. Uh, it's just great, man. It's just great. Some great cameos. Alex Trebek, Chris Evans, all the good stuff. Uh, the top trending TV show is The White Lotus. Apparently, some guy has his dick in his hand, and I mean, you know, it's just it is what it <laughs> we is. We have that on some pretty good knowledge. Yes. Yeah, inside on, sources. Inside sources, inside sources. Wait until next week when we talk about it with Matt Hamilton from her Turner and Hooch. Oh, my goodness. And the top trending star uh, still, I believe she was the top trending star last week as well, Alexandria Dadrio. Yes. So and I believe I, you she's know, from that. Yeah, she's from White Lotus, and uh, I remember her from Baywatch. Because as JLo pointed out, I was born in 1904. Facts. Uh, <laughs> and I'm immortal, and I just keep chopping people's heads off with my swords. Literally. I have Connors and Duncans, because I fucking chop both their heads off, motherfuckers. What was so. the Titanic like? I, I wasn't on the Titanic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I'd still yes. be swimming. Yeah, like Because like, I can't die, so I'd be swimming forever. And yeah. Like, yeah, there's, you know. It'd no. be cold water, and you'd like the cold, so uh, well, you'd be fine. <laughs> Well, whose heads would I chop off? They all died. Like, that would be enough. pointless. I mean, you know, i got to be on land to chop heads off. That's, That's true. just how that works. <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway, thank you again to Melissa Bruning for coming Ooh. on the show. Be sure to follow her on Instagram. She's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, be sure to follow the company on social media and the podcast. Uh, at Crazy Ant Media is the company, and at ItCaf Podcast is the podcast. You guys know you can follow us both personally on social media. Myself, at JLo Fantastic, and... Crazy Ant Guy 1970. That's right, buddy. That's right. And, and Peanut the Puppy. And Peanut the Puppy, because, you know, he made an appearance this week. <laughs> That's right. Follow Peanut the Puppy. Yes. And subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Apple, Anchor, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, and so much more. Yes. If you're watching this video on YouTube, hello, hola. We appreciate you. You're going to get a YouTube exclusive next week with uh, Matt Hamilton, so be sure to be watching the YouTube channel. Yes. And subscribe and all that good stuff uh like this video ring the bell all of it we love it we love it uh ding like you know, yeah. you know uh be sure to visit our website <laughs> www.crazyantmedia.com where you can start rocking the latest and greatest crazy ant media gear oh boy oh boy i think honestly i'm really excited about this 50th. We, we both just got gas at the yeah. same time that was a little creepy 
<laughs> we both just belched at the same. I'm really excited about this 50th anniversary thing because I, I do want to see how they all interact. Oh together. my gosh, yeah, I am so freaking pumped about that. You know, it, it would be epic if just like Oprah would show up there, right? Wouldn't it? Like that would be fucking fantastic. She's a huge Bob fan, Iger. 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 Yeah. Uh, just to clarify that. Yeah, I was super pumped about that. I'm also super pumped about Armageddon, mm-hmm. the fucking big Flash event with Cat coming back and all and all the baddies coming in. Just like I'm super excited about that. And, of course, fucking Manifest. Yeah. I mean, that's super exciting. Yeah, and I mean the Spider-Man trailer. Oh, my goodness. So Holy many possibilities, shit. guys. They hinted at so much stuff just in the trailer. Like, it's so damn good. And I saw a meme that was like Doc Ock when he saw the first Aunt May and then when he saw the, the third Aunt May and he was like, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I love the idea that like part of the, the big, you know, fiasco of the multiverse is Peter's fault. Yeah. Because he didn't want everybody to forget who he was. He's like, no, no, fuck that. Me and Mary Jane are good. We got – she needs to remember. And if you haven't watched the trailer – it's kind of the reason the spell gets fucked up. Yeah. So, like, I love that. You exactly, know? exactly. It's always over a girl. It's always over a girl. Every single time. But it's always a good show when we get to talk about the one, the only, Oprah! Oprah!